Coming up on the Rami LaVie podcast, big news out of the NBA. RJ Barrett signs a four-year extension with the New York Knicks that can earn him up to $120 million. My instant reaction to that. Plus, the Yankees, after winning five in a row, they dropped three in a row. I was watching the game while I was recording. That was upsetting. And some news going into the NFL season as we wrap the door on preseason and head to the regular season. All that and more coming up next. Stay tuned. Today's episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. I often talk on this podcast about breaking the stigma surrounding mental health. So if you're feeling stressed, depressed, or just want to talk, today's sponsor, BetterHelp, is here to help you. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed, experienced therapist online, and you have access to over 20,000 different therapists that you may not have access to in your area. All you have to do is fill out a questionnaire, and 48 hours later, you're set up with a therapist that fits your needs. You can then schedule video or phone calls and have access to unlimited messages back and forth with your experienced therapist. You can also change to a new therapist at any time with no extra charge. I often talk on this podcast about how perspective is anything, and that's something I learned in therapy. I had terrible anxiety, and I learned about how changing your perspective can change the reality. So take charge of your mental health and join the over 2 million people who already use BetterHelp for therapy online today. And if you use my code, you can get an extra 10% off on your first month. So go to betterhelp.com Rami for 10% off. That's B-E-T-T-E-R help h-e-l-p dot com slash rami for 10% off your first month do it today welcome back to the rami la vie podcast presented as always by better help go to betterhelp.com slash rami that is my first name r-a-m-i for 10% off your first month of online therapy it is a late monday night here and we are watching the Yankees suck on the West Coast against the Angels when some news came in and it's the reason why I'm recording my voice is not back yet I don't think I sound any better if anything I sound worse but if I'm whipping out the sure microphone at home it's because something big happened and something indeed did happen and that's RJ Barrett RJ Barrett has signed an agreement a four-year 120 million dollar extension with the New York Knicks now the guy who I always refer reference or refer to when I talk about basketball is probably Ryan Rossillo. Um, I refer to him when I talk about a lot of things, but basketball probably more than other things because he always says when the deal first comes in, you have to wait for all the details to come trickling in because they generally start to trickle in a little bit later. So it's up to 200 and or $120 million. It's not exactly four years, $120 million. But the reason why I'm excited and why immediately I tweeted out, yes, sir, let's go, all that stuff, and I'm fired up about it when something weird was in the tweet that Woj put out, and we'll get to that in a minute, is because this just shows competence. The Knicks signed a guy who's 22 years old, who had a great year, who all signs are pointing towards him being at least a really, really good NBA player. And that was something interesting just happened in the Yankee game. I had to look for a second. Um, It looked like they had an inning-ending double play. And it looked like Gleyber Torres had stepped off the bag before he threw it to first. I was thinking that was a really nice turn by Gleyber. It was not. So there's a runner on second in the bottom of the seventh. And if you're listening to this, you already know what happened in the Yankee game. But that's weird. Bad job, Gleyber. Don't want to see that. Now Mike Trout is pitching or is batting with a runner. He was batting with a runner on second and two outs, and he grounded out on one pitch to IKF. So, no harm. Where was I? R.J. Barrett has shown that this team is competent. That's the bottom line, that they signed a guy who was their first-round pick from 2019, and they were able to sign him to an extension and not lose him. There's a certain deadline. He was eligible for extension. The three picks ahead of him in the draft, Ja, or the two picks, I should say, Ja and Zion both signed. A bunch of guys elsewhere in that draft already signed the extension. It was time for the Knicks to sign R.J. Barrett and make him a top priority. And here's the tweet from Woj before we get into anything else. New York Knicks guard R.J. Barrett is finalizing a four-year rookie extension that could be worth up to $120 million. His agent, Bill Duffy of, and then told ESPN, complicating the franchise's offseason trade pursuit of Utah Jazz all-star Donovan Mitchell. That was 
the big part that people look to. And when I sent the text to my dad saying, we got him, we got RJ, he looked at me and said, you're excited because we're not getting Mitchell now? And to that I say, no, this has nothing to do with Mitchell. And if you read Adam Schefter's full article, the first thing that he says is the most important thing in the article. Schefter writes, Barrett's deal ends a remarkable 23-year drought for the Knicks. He's the franchise's first first draft pick to agree to a multi-year contract extension after his rookie deal since Charlie Ward in 1999, according to ESPN stats and information. That tells you that they went 23 years without making the guy the priority. R.J. Barrett is the exact type of player who the Knicks lose with previous regimes. This regime prioritized keeping their own guy, keeping a guy that they have under control, and keeping it at a, at a time where right now, yeah, it looks like a big deal. They're giving him $30-plus million a year. True. But in a couple of years, I think after this season, the new TV deal comes in. And when the NBA new TV deal comes in, a guy like R.J. Barrett, who what he projects to be doing, even what he did this past year, and what he averaged this past year, Barrett averaged 20 points, 5.8 rebounds, and 3 assists in his third season in the NBA. What he did this past year... Guys who do that will be making significantly more, probably $50 million, if not more, after the new CBA and the new TV deals are signed. So the fact that the Knicks didn't let this linger and didn't let this turn into a story and got it done before training camp tells you that there's something very different happening about this Knicks front office. Now let's read further in the article. Barrett's one of five players in NBA history to amass 3,000 points, 1,000 rebounds, and 203 pointers before his 22nd birthday, joining Kobe Bryant, Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James. Now, RJ did it on a terrible team, maybe you want to say, although last year they weren't that bad. But look at that list of names. Kobe Bryant, Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, and LeBron James. Am I saying that RJ Barrett is going to be any of those guys? I'm not saying that. But just realize what you have. You have a 22-year-old kid or not yet 22-year-old kid, who is this talented and this capable and has already proven to an extent that he could do it at the NBA level. The Knicks did include, and this is the part that gets a little sticky and the part that people are tending to focus on, and even it's such a weird tweet by Woj, if you ask me, that initial tweet that the whole sentence, it's one long run-on sentence that's leading to the kind of the big punchline being that now they're out on Donovan Mitchell. Like, it's just how people view the Knicks. It's people have this weird view. And everyone, if you see all the tweets and everyone, what they're saying, the whole conversation is surrounding the Knicks and Donovan Mitchell. When the conversation should be a positive conversation about R.J. Barrett and the Knicks being different than doing something that they couldn't do for the last 25 years almost. And this regime finally, finally being different and finally being a positive influence that this is a real regime that we can trust to run this franchise and take it to the place we want it to get. Yeah, we know we're not there yet, but maybe this is the front office that can bring us there. Instead, the conversation immediately goes to, oh, now they're out of Mitchell. Ha ha ha. The Knicks tried to get Donovan Mitchell. Now they're not going to get him. And I predicted this a while ago. I said, if the Knicks don't get Donovan Mitchell, just wait, just wait for all the comments that everyone's going to be saying. And if they do get him, everyone's going to be talking about how they overpaid for him. So yeah, it's a lose-lose if you're the Knicks. But it's weird that something that is such a positive, one of the biggest days in Knicks franchise history over the last 25 years, and I'm not even being, I'm being serious when I say that. this is one of the biggest days the Knicks have had as a franchise in the last 20 years. And we're looking at it as, wow, look, they didn't get Donovan Mitchell. This ruins their chance at getting Donovan Mitchell. And Aaron Judge just hit his 50th homer. So, wow. Dude is nuts. <laughs> I mean... Yankees are down by one now, as hopefully by the time I finish recording this, maybe it won't be such a disappointing L.A. series for the Yankees or L.A. game, because that's what I was looking at. So uh, Aaron Judge now 50 home runs through 129 games. Roger Maris in 1961 had 51 through 129 games. Yankees still trail by a run. We'll see what happens. Hey, they intentionally walked him twice already in this game. If you're going to throw him strikes, you better make him good and that wasn't a good enough strike, and he had it out. Good job, Aaron Judge. I'm sorry I keep interrupting. I did this last time. I really should stop recording while I'm watching something else, but 
I guess this is more of like an interactive vibe. <laughs> if you're listening to this and you already know what happened last night in the Yankee game, as you're listening to this, um, well, you probably know that the Yankees either lost or they came back and won. But you definitely know that Aaron Judge has hit his 50th homer. But you get to hear my reaction, which is always fun. And don't worry, I'm not losing focus. The focus here is R.J. Barrett. It's the reason I'm recording right now. Like I said, to twist a positive that is so positive in R.J. Barrett into, wow, now they can't get Donovan Mitchell. They can still get Donovan Mitchell. And let me explain. So he goes on in the article and says, the Knicks did include Barrett in trade proposals for Mitchell, sources said, which is why the process to complete the extension extended several additional weeks because people were starting to wonder, and I know my guy Tommy Beer wrote in an article, why aren't the Knicks signing R.J. Barrett yet? Why has this not happened yet? This should be the priority of the offseason. I think he wrote this article about a month back or so. So it says here that R.J. Barrett was potentially in some offers for Donovan Mitchell, and that's why the deal had not been done yet, which is also kind of a good sign that it wasn't that they just were lagging on the deal for no reason. Barrett was a staple, as the article continues, of several different trade variations discussed, but hurdles remained on Monday about the total of unprotected first-round picks in the deal and the inclusion of Knicks guard Quentin Grimes, sources said. Now, if you've listened to me on this podcast, you know that the number one thing I wanted to protect as far as Knicks assets is Quentin Grimes. I care more than almost anything else that the Knicks have to offer. I care that they don't give up Quentin Grimes. It's just been a pet peeve of mine. I think this kid is special. He plays defense to me. He reminds me, or his ability, his potential could be that of a guy like Clay Thompson. And when you look at Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge doesn't lose trades. He hasn't lost a lot of trades in his history. If you look back at all the trades he's made, he's not going to start now. So if there's a guy that Danny Ainge has circled and said, I want that guy more than anyone else. And in this case, it is Quentin Grimes. That's the guy that if you're the Knicks, you say, okay, keep him away. This is the guy that we make sure that we hold on to more than anyone else because of that. The article continues. Nevertheless, the Jazz greatly valued Barrett as part of any Mitchell deal with New York. And a deal without him would require the Knicks to relinquish far more draft assets than they've shown a willingness to do, sources said. So the point is, if they're being iffy about Quentin Grimes and other unprotected first round draft picks that's with Barrett in a deal can you imagine how much they're gonna have to give up without Barrett yeah but you also get to keep Barrett once the Knicks committed to Barrett's extension management became resigned to the fact that there's a much more difficult path to an offseason deal to acquire Mitchell nevertheless neither Utah or New York is ruling out restarting the talks before the start of training camps in late September sources said so basically the point is that this doesn't end any talks between the Knicks and the Jazz. They still remain in talks, and it just means that R.J. Barrett will not be in a deal for Donovan Mitchell. And that is something that if you're a Knicks fan, you should be happy about. And you probably didn't want R.J. Barrett to be the centerpiece of a deal anyway. I don't think this is that big a deal that this totally ends the trade talks. And here's the biggest piece to me, because... This part is a couple of sentences later, and this part tells you everything you need to know. Woj continues and says, The Jazz aren't seriously engaged elsewhere on a Mitchell deal now, sources said, which makes real the possibility that he could still be on the roster for the start of late September training camp. You know what else that makes the possibility? That the Knicks are going to still trade for him by the time late September rolls around. The next few weeks are going to be crucial in a Donovan Mitchell deal. We know that. And I said that to my father, I think, on Thursday. I said, buckle up. It's going to happen. And it's going to be the Knicks because there's no one else that can offer anything that the Jazz would want. And yeah, they wanted R.J. Barrett and they have other demands, but that didn't happen. And the part of the article that was also key is Woj pointed this out and he said this on Twitter too. Leon Rose gave Danny Ainge a deadline, said, if you don't come to me with a better deal, I'm going to sign R.J. Barrett by Monday night. And guess what? He stood his ground. And when Danny Ainge didn't come back with a more reasonable deal, Leon Rose said, guess what? I'm signing RJ Barrett. I'm signing my all-star, or not yet all-star, but could be potential all-star, who's 22 years old, to an extension because you're not willing to negotiate in good faith. And guess what that tells me? That tells me that the Knicks are not going to be bullied. Past regimes, not only would they have not gotten the deal done for R.J. Barrett, they would have gotten bullied into giving him away in a deal for Donovan Mitchell. 
Leon Rose is trying to tell us this is a new world order in New York City. This is a new world order at Madison Square Garden for the Knicks. That is huge if you're a Knicks fan. It's not just that they signed R.J. Barrett and he's the first guy in 23 years, the first first draft pick to sign. It's that we're not getting pushed around anymore. We're not jumping at the first thing that comes our way, the first potential opportunity. It shows that there's competence on multiple levels. One, signing the draft pick, not waiting for the new CBA to come in and the new TV deal and then having to pay him way more than you would have to pay him right now. Not having contract negotiations linger during a season or a training camp even. That's the first competence. But the second thing is that they're not getting bullied. And guess what this tells me? They're not going to continue to get bullied. And if a Donovan Mitchell trade happens, the more desperate team, which is the Utah Jazz, is going to have to make a more fair offer. And the Knicks may actually do something that resembles winning a trade with Danny Ainge. The Jazz desperately want to get rid of Donovan Mitchell before the season starts. If they want to be in the lottery for Wembanyama when the season comes to an end, if they want to really tank, he's the first overall pick or the projected first overall pick in next year's draft. If they really want to tank, they're going to need Donovan Mitchell to not be on this roster. Donovan Mitchell is too good a player to be on a tanking roster. He'll win you a couple of games alone. And if they're serious about tanking, they're going to need to trade him this offseason. And that probably means in the next month or so. And guess what else that means? That means that they're going to have to find a trade partner. And we already know they're not trading him to Miami. They don't want to pick up Duncan Robinson's huge contract. They don't want a deal centered around Tyler Hero. The Cavs are out. Everyone's out. It's the Knicks and the Jazz. And if Danny Age is so, if Danny Age is so stubborn that he's not willing to make a deal with the Knicks... Just because he's not willing to make a deal with the Knicks and he takes less from another team, then I can't help you. But what we've seen so far is the Knicks are not just going to cave to Danny Ainge. They're not just going to give in. And Leon Rose has stood his ground and he's proven that he has a backbone and he has competence and he knows what he's doing. He has a goal and he wants to run this team the right way. And that's something we couldn't have said in a long, long time about the Knicks. Now, how do I know that the Jazz are definitely trying to tank. Now, I don't know that. You're right. But one move definitely shows me that they're probably trying to tank. And that was a move that came in late last week, and that's the Pat Beverly trade. And there's a lot of levels to the Pat Beverly trade. Um, <laughs> obviously, there's the Lakers side of it, which is fun. But look, you don't give away quality pieces on your team right now, like Pat Beverly, whether you like him or not. You don't give that guy away who you just traded for in the Minnesota deal if you're not trying to tank. The Jazz don't want to win right now. They want Mitchell off their roster. They can't have him on their roster and tank. It's just not possible. He's too good a player. So I do think a Knicks deal will get done. And I think the Jazz are showing their hand. And I think Leon Rose is playing this perfectly, honestly. As far as Pat Bev and the Lakers side... I mean, this is just so funny. Pat Bev has had beef with Russell Westbrook. Pat Bev has had beef with LeBron James. He's had beef with everyone. But LeBron James is running this franchise, and he's basically saying, look, I'm staying. I signed the extra year or two years. He obviously has the opt-out in between. I can come back. I'll set records in a Laker uniform. I'll put butts in seats. I'll sell tickets. I'll sell jerseys, sell merch, all that stuff for you. All I'm asking is you run the, the things the way I want to run things. And guess how he wants to run things? He wants to run things with as many veterans as possible and just in the worst possible way. So sign Carmelo Anthony if you're the Lakers. Maybe go see what Lou Williams is up to. I don't know. Find anyone who could play. Maybe see if Kevin Garnett wants to come back. Paul Pierce? Why not? Get him too. So all these things that we're seeing. LeBron James is stubborn. He wants to do it his way. And he's probably going to handicap this franchise to the point that he's going to make them make some dumb trade that includes the 2027 first round draft pick, which is the only draft pick they have available to trade or only first rounder they have available to trade for something stupid so that they could get something else. And again, 
just run this franchise and organization straight into the ground. It's kind of funny. It's like a train wreck. You can't wait to watch it. I hope we get to watch even more. I hope they get to do more dumb things. It also tells you that uh, they were serious about trying to sign or trade for at least Kyrie Irving. So the LeBron-Kyrie reunion, which I'd pay to watch still, was real. And we'll see where that picks up. If Kevin Durant changes his mind, like I said on last episode, KD changes his mind again in the next couple of weeks or even a couple of months into the season, depending on how the season starts off, then maybe there's still a deal that could send Kyrie Irving to the Lakers, which would be fun. But I think the reason they waited and got Pat Bev afterwards was because they truly wanted Kyrie Irving. That's what that tells me. But still kind of funny. This whole thing is kind of funny to me. Anyway, that's all I got on the NBA. I think there's not much else that's going on. It's like there was a huge pause that happened in the NBA offseason when KD requested a trade. It was kind of like the baseball offseason that once we had the lockout, once that happened, nothing really went back to normal. Um, so it's kind of going to be, we'll see what happens once training camp starts up. It's going to be interesting. There's a lot of storylines to look at. We had a lot of fun talking about KD the whole offseason, but nothing really happened there. It's going to be a storyline we're going to have to continue following throughout the season. But the Pat Bev trade in the Lakers, that's another thing that we get to follow this season. It's going to be more fun for two teams that are probably not even going to make the finals with the Lakers and the Nets. But who knows what could happen with the Nets? At least they have the talent to do it. Now, the Yankees just keep frustrating me. And I know I said I wasn't going to talk about the game while I'm watching it because I don't know if that's a great listening experience for you listening to this podcast right now but uh i think it was glaber torres flew out to flew out to end the last inning and then lucas Licky got otani to ground out or should have grounded out on one pitch but was late covering first and rizzo was waiting for him and otani beat it out so it's really the entire yankee offense is aaron judge and the incompetence of the yankees we thought they figured it out they, they win the last game in Toronto. They win two against the Mets. They win the first two in Oakland. Hey, we got a nice little five-game winning streak going here. This is looking good. And then they have one hit through 11 innings on Saturday night. And Saturday night was the most frustrating to me because they still could have won. They were so bad. It was so tough to watch, but they get the break. They get the wild pitch to essentially win that game. And it all blows up in the bottom of the 11th. And they like a game that was gifted to them. They still couldn't figure out a way to win. And a drop third strike by Higashioka. And him not backhanding a ball. And just a bunch of different things that happened in that game. That ultimately lead to them losing that game. Is just so frustrating. And you see similar patterns. Like I said after Thursday night's game. When they scored 13 runs without a home run. Against the A's. I was like look. This team showed me everything I need to see. The home runs will come. We know the home runs will come. We know they live and die by the homer. But they just showed us that they can score, score 13 runs without even hitting a homer. That tells me a lot about this team. That tells me that this team is capable of more than just living and dying by the homer. I really truly thought that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that was the aberration. Maybe the last three games where they lose the two in a row against Oakland... And now they're losing tonight against the Angels, and we'll see what happens. Maybe that's actually the norm. And so one aberration of scoring 13 runs, that doesn't mean anything. And when people bring up the Yankees' run differential still being really good, it's because they've blown out bad teams. And look, you're supposed to blow out bad teams. You're doing what you're supposed to do. I get that. It's an easy answer. But if you're once in a while blowing out bad teams, maybe that's the aberration, and really this team is not good enough. And the frustrating part, is when the offense just looks so dead like a night like tonight. And the offense looks so dead with runners on and runners in scoring position. And they're making mistakes like the dumb mistake that Rizzo just made or Licky, whoever's problem it was that he didn't get over. Or Glaber Torres not stepping on the bag or taking his foot off the bag too soon to make a throw to first on a double play. That could have cost them with Trout coming up to the plate. I talked about it earlier in the episode. We're seeing dumb mistakes just not paying attention to details. Stuff that plagued them all of last year. And again, I'm not a big blame the manager guy, but when you're talking about a team with low energy that doesn't seem to want to be there, doesn't seem to care, a team that is making mistakes with the little things as far as base running, defense, 
at some point you have to look at the manager and say, what is he doing wrong? Because I know it comes down to the players. I get that. The players have to execute. But their mind has to be in the right place, and it doesn't seem like they are. After Sunday's game, Aaron Boone made the excuse that the the shadows and the conditions in Oakland made it tough to see. Yet the other teams who are facing that same pitcher in Oakland, the pitcher who has a 60 RA on the year, didn't seem to have a problem with the shadows. How is that possible that the Yankees are only getting a few hits against this guy? And by the way, that mentality of excuses, making excuses, there's a trickle-down effect to that. I always talk that, you know, I, I thought Boone was a good guy. He sounds like a good guy. He knows a lot of baseball. My biggest issue with him always has been he doesn't hold guys accountable. And it's not his style. He's not Joe Girardi. He's a player's manager. That's what they call him. He's not going to yell and scream at guys, especially not in the media or in the public. At some point, though, these guys have to be accountable. And when your manager is making an excuse for you like shadows, then a guy like Garrett Cole, when he comes out and says the start of the game was delayed by four minutes because the ceremonial first pitch went a little bit too long, how could you blame him? His manager's doing the same thing. Adam Wainwright said something so interesting. He was mic'd up during his warm-ups for what was a fascinating baseball game on Sunday night, a Sunday night baseball game between the Braves and the Cardinals. And Adam Wainwright said something super interesting. They asked him if he has the same routine that he's had his entire career. And he said, routine, yes, but I'm not a creature of habit. Don't let it become superstition. Yes, we like to do the same thing as athletes. We like to do the same thing over and over again. And the routine is important, but don't let it become a superstition because then sometimes things are going to be a little off. And if it's a little off, that's okay. If they told me right now is what he said, that I only had eight pitches to get loose and get in the game, I'd be able to do that too because you have to be able to adapt because you never know what's going to be thrown your way. That is a guy who's a competitor. That's a guy who's a champion, a guy who's been in this league for 20 years and has done it at a high level the entire time and continues to do it at a high level. But if your manager is making excuses for you and he's telling you that, nah, you don't have to be that good, then what do you expect the team to do? Garrett Cole should listen to that. A guy like Frankie Montas, who, my God, this is the guy we traded for. And every time so far since his first start back, or his first start with the team, I should say, it's been excuse after excuse for this guy. Enough is enough, right? Like, when are we going to start holding this guy accountable? This is the guy we traded for? It's just not good right now. And I know it's only four runs in six innings. That's not good enough. If you're Frankie Montas, that's not the guy we traded for. That's not the guy who we expected. Just because he had a couple of good starts so far, a couple of not terrible starts so far. He's been really shaky at best, even in the games where he doesn't give up a ton of runs. I pointed this out. How many one, two, three innings does he have? I think he has seven in a total of 25 innings right now, which means most innings he's dealing with trouble the vast majority of times. And guess what? When the stakes get heightened and the pressure's on, in the postseason, if you're constantly putting runners on base and you're constantly dealing with trouble, the higher the likelihood that those guys are going to come around and score. So this is the guy we're relying on. Domingo Herman has looked like the best Yankee pitcher over the last month. It's insane. Outside of, of course, Jordan Montgomery, who's been the best Yankee pitcher, only he's not on the staff, which still boggles my mind. One positive, we have a couple of false or phantom IL situations going on. One of them being Nestor Cortez, who's been the Yankees' most consistent starter all year, but he's pitched more innings than he's ever pitched in his professional career, or even non-professional career. It's more, most innings he's pitched in a season. So he was put on the IL, and the Yankees basically all but said that it's just to get him some rest. Another guy who just needed to get right was Clay Holmes, and they put him on the IL, and he came back tonight, and he looked really good, got the double play, then had to go back on the field after the double play was called back and he was able to get Trout out on one pitch. So uh, he looks good. He had the ground ball working. So he worked a nice seventh. So if he could be back and he could be the closer, that would be great. And I think this is an interesting opportunity for Clay Holmes because here's an opportunity for him to actually take full command of the closer job again. And the reason I say that is because Araldis Chapman is out again with a really weird injury where he has an infection from a tattoo that he got on his leg. A midseason tattoo led to an infection, and he's on the IL. And if you look at Aroldis Chapman and the contract that he got with the New York Yankees, might be one of the worst contracts that the Yankees have ever given anyone in the history of the franchise, or at least in the last 25 years. You think about 
the injuries he's had, the inconsistencies he's had. He's lost the closer job multiple times, whether it was to Clay Holmes this year or Jonathan Loizaga at times or even Zach Britton. He's been constantly unreliable. And in the two biggest spots, he's given up two season-ending hits, two season-ending home runs in the last few years as a Yankee. And so (laughs) you think about that. That is one of the worst contracts. So Clay Holmes can take advantage of this opportunity of Chapman being out and can really take a chokehold on the closer role. I'd love to see that. And I hope Clay Holmes is back. That's all I'm going to talk about about the Yankees. I guess I'll watch this top of the ninth inning and see if they do lose this game. And maybe at the end of the episode, I will tell you that they won or lost. You'll know by the time you hear this anyway. I did want to talk about some football stuff before we get into the beginning of the NFL season. And just before I do that, so coming up, I, I mentioned a couple times I'm going to do the fantasy football preview. That's still the case. I'm going to do a fantasy football preview podcast. Uh, I'll do that this week. So that's coming up. Look forward for look or I'm looking forward to that, but you should be looking out for that. Um, I'm also going to do an NFL preview before Thursday night next week, which is the start of the NFL season is next Thursday night. I believe that is September 9th. I want to say it's September 8th. I think um, it's I, yeah, it should be September 8th is the start of the NFL season. So I will do a full preview of the NFL season prior to that, as well as the full fantasy preview, which should be coming out this week. I do have my final fantasy draft, my auction draft on Thursday night. So I might even do it ahead of that. I'm not scared of those guys. Maybe I'll do it Thursday night, though. Um Or now that this episode is coming out Tuesday, maybe I'll do Tuesday, Thursday, and that episode will come out Thursday morning. So just look out for that episode as we do get ready for football. But a couple other notes on the football season and one from my New York Jets or a few from my New York Jets. First of all, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. So Ahmad or Sauce Gardner, as you know him today, he just signed a deal with Buffalo Wild Wings. He's going to have his own line of sauce called the Sauce Sauce, which is awesome. And people are starting to realize that this guy might actually be special. And look, Darrell Revis is my favorite Jet of all time. If you know me, you know that by now. So when I come out and say that Sauce is really special and could be Revis-like, that's not just me throwing that out there. That could be really, really special. And I mean it. And I mean that really coming from me, especially, is what I'm saying is that it means a lot. And this guy, though, I love the attitude that this team has. I love that they've all said we're not willing to call him Sauce. He's a mod until he earns the nickname Sauce. He said that so far. All his coaches, Salah, all his teammates, you hear interviews with CJ Uzama. They're like, when people are like, what do you think of Sauce Garner? They go, you mean a mod? He's a mod for now. And he's trying to earn sauce. And he knows, he said, I like that I needed to earn the starting corner position. He's the best corner this team has had since prime Terrell Revis. And I don't mean the second time around when he was trash. I mean the first time they had Revis before they traded him to the Bucks. That's how good of a corner he is. He's the best corner the Jets have had since that point. And still they weren't willing to give him the corner position. They said he's going to have to earn it. And he said afterwards, I like that I had to earn it. I want to earn everything. I don't deserve anything. I want to work for it. That's awesome. And boy, did he earn it. In 24 times, 24 coverage snaps where he was in coverage one-on-one in this preseason. And I know it's only preseason, but there were only 24 times over the course of three games that he was defending someone one-on-one. He was targeted zero times. Nobody's willing to even throw in his direction. And guess what? Throughout this NFL season, you're rarely going to hear his name. And when I watch these preseason games, I'm like, I want to watch Sauce. I want to watch, where is he? Why Why aren't they mentioning him? And as long as they're not mentioning him on the telecast, you know he's doing his job. And I have a feeling we might go 17 games and barely hear his name. And yeah, there's going to be some hotshot offensive coordinator and some hotshot quarterback who says, yeah. I'm good enough. I can go at this kid. He's just a rookie. You think I'm not going to challenge him? They see the numbers. They see CBS Sports and Stats and Info and ESPN and all that putting out the stats and info, the lines on Ahmad Sauce Gardner has been targeted X amount of times or hasn't been targeted at this amount of times. And they're going to say, we can go at him. We're different. We're better. We're not scared of this rookie. And 
I hope we do see that because I want to see the plays he made. I want to see what he's actually made of. I want to see him get some interceptions. I want to see him get some pass deflections and what he actually can do. So I'm looking forward to all of it. But I'm looking forward to most not even hearing his name and knowing that one side of the field is completely shut down. And speaking of shut down, the Yankees are down to their final strike. As I told you, they would. Uh, I would keep you updated as I watched it. Another thing that came out of Jets camp, aside from Sauce Gardner, is the Denzel Mims situation. So he asked for a trade. Um, he said he wants he views himself as one of the three wide receivers. And the response from the Jets has been positive. The response has been, yeah, that's what we want. We want a guy to come in here and feel like he earns his position and should be doing better, should be higher. At the same time, when they drafted him, he wasn't ready to go. And so they went out and drafted Elijah Moore. They went out and signed Corey Davis. They went out and drafted Garrett Wilson because they couldn't rely on Denzel Mims. So now that he's coming to camp and he's finally put it put together one decent offseason, one decent training camp, and he's starting to look good. He scored his first career professional touchdown in regular season or preseason, and it was a preseason touchdown, a really nice catch that he made. Now he's already asking for a trade. Dude, you just showed up. You have to earn the right to ask for a trade. And I love that everything that the Jets have said is the right thing. Whether it's Sala, whether it's JD, they've said, look, we love the attitude. We love that this guy feels like he should be getting more playing time. So come in with that attitude. Keep working hard and play your way into a better position. Play your way into a starting spot. Play your way into an opportunity to make more plays, to be on the field more do that and keep doing your job that's awesome i love that he's going to have the opportunity to do that but don't just give in to him the jets are not going to trade him for nothing for multiple reasons number one if he actually is this talented and he's actually capable of being this good they're not just going to give him away because no one's seen what he's capable of yet and number two there's a big question mark around the 2020 draft and most of it has gone really poorly for joe douglas he needs at least Denzel Mims to be the saving grace of that draft and if Denzel Mims finally pans out to be the guy and something interesting I saw that the Panthers were a team that really were trying to get Denzel Mims and they just traded for a different wide receiver so maybe that tells you where the Jets are standing that they're not just going to give away Denzel Mims and if you want to be that guy you want to be a guy who can demand a trade like I said you have to earn it so go out there ball out prove your time and maybe who knows maybe you get if Corey Davis starts dropping some passes you get on the field wide receivers get mixed in and out a lot you know a guy gets banged up on one play maybe there's an injury you could get in the mix you could start getting out there as a top wide receiver if they run some four receiver sets you could get out there as the fourth wide receiver it's not the worst thing in the world that you have a guy who's hungry sitting on the bench. Probably right now on the depth chart, he's the fifth wide receiver behind Moore, behind Wilson, behind Barrios, behind Davis. But maybe he can move up if he continues to play the way he does and he has this attitude and he feels like he's actually better and he's actually the real deal. Last thing with the Jets. They released Chris Traveler. And if you were watching the preseason, which many of you I know were not, but I was, you know that Chris Trevler led them to three consecutive game-winning drives, and I think in three preseason games he's thrown like 270 yards with five touchdowns and a pick, and he's been awesome. He has a cool beard. He, he runs around a lot. He doesn't look like a football player when he's not in, football, in a football uniform. He's a little Tim Tebow-ish, and he's been awesome, and he's been so much fun to watch, and he's been just really cool, and all the Jets players chanting his name and all that stuff is great. I love it. It's really cool. It's great that this guy is in there. But let's be honest. Let's be real about what we're talking about here. We're watching a guy who's dominating against practice squad players. Yes, he has the poise to stand in there. And maybe he gets that from, I think he was in the CFL, which is where he played college uh, uh, Canadian football or whatever it is. So he has the ability to play football at a somewhat professional level and has the poise to play quarterback in the NFL, as as Waldo Cabrera just gave a ball a ride and Mike Trout ran it down to end the game. Cabrera kind of pimped that a little bit where he dropped the bat as if he was going to, if maybe it was going to go out, maybe he thought it was off the wall, I'm not sure, but 
The Yankees do lose. They fall on Anaheim in game one of the series. This is not good. Three in a row on this West Coast trip where you had to win, realistically, five or six out of the seven. And Cabrera kind of pimped that and then started running hard because he realized that that wasn't going to go out. And then Trout did ultimately run it down. And maybe if that's not Mike Trout in center, that does fall down for a hit. I don't know. Well, not good. Really, really not good for the Yankees. But the Chris Traveler situation, back to my Jets, because I don't want to get all out of whack. We talked about the Yankees already and how disappointing they are. Chris Traveler was playing against guys who are all going to be cut within the next couple of days if they haven't been cut already. That's the honest truth. And so as much as it sucks, as much as a good story would have been to have him on the roster and to see what he's able to do, and as much as maybe the Jets will get negative press for this, and maybe, who knows, maybe someone picks him up and his talent and his poise in the pocket in big situations can actually translate. I don't think it will. Maybe it will. Maybe I'm wrong. But honestly, he wasn't the savior. Like I said, it's a fun story. But this franchise, the future and the hopes of the franchise are on Zach Wilson. Not Mike White. We wanted that to be real. It wasn't. It's not Joe Flacco, no matter what he does in the first couple of games. The future of this organization relies on Zach Wilson. And if he's not the guy, we have to do it all over again. And that's a sad reality. And Chris Strebler was a fun dream. And it was fun while it lasted for one preseason. But that's all it is. It's preseason. It's meaningless. The season starts next week. And that's when it gets real. And that's when we can actually start talking about things. And if they start winning games, then we could start getting excited. Right now, don't get blinded by these storylines that come at you. Speaking of storylines, Jimmy Garoppolo is going to create a lot of storylines in San Francisco. And I'm not in San Francisco, but I can imagine what people are saying out there. So they signed Jimmy G to a deal when a lot of people thought they were just going to release him because they couldn't have him in the quarterback room with Trey Lance because they were like, no, it's just not good for Trey Lance to have a guy who's been proven that he is a successful quarterback. You can't. How do you have him in the room with Trey Lance at the same time, right? Well, look at this. Jimmy Garoppolo, no matter what you want to say about him, when he's on the field for the San Francisco 49ers, they win. And when he's not on the field, they don't win. And whatever you say about Trey Lance and how much they trust Trey Lance and how they're giving him the keys to the franchise, and even in the statement they put out there where they said, we're re-signing Jimmy G, and Trey Lance is the starter, and Jimmy G knows that. You don't give Jimmy G this kind of money if you're so certain that Trey Lance is the guy. I don't know how much they're telling us the truth when they say, oh no, this is Trey Lance's team. No, no, Trey Lance is the guy. I'm not so sure that they really mean that. And so we'll see what happens here. But that's going to be an interesting storyline to follow. Maybe they're just going to trade him. I don't think you trade a guy right after you give him a contract like that. So that's going to be interesting to see. Maybe it means nothing. Maybe they really just do want a veteran quarterback presence to be a backup and to be in the room with Trey Lance. But I I don't get that. That doesn't make so much sense to me. I don't know how much they love Trey Lance as much as he's getting fantasy hub and fantasy buzz and all that stuff. Another couple of quarterbacks that this is a big season for them. And we're going to talk about this on the NFL preview podcast that I do. But I just wanted to talk about it because I thought about it. So why not? One of them is Tua Tungavailoa. Everyone's already laughing. Ha ha ha, Tua time. Look at that. Tua, Tua, Tua. It's so funny. Look, he just got his best receiver he's ever had. Devontae Parker, I just heard this. He gets less separation than any other wide receiver in the league during his time in the league. Like He is not good at getting separation. I think Tyreek Hill gets more separation than any other receiver. So that's good for Tua. Tua was playing in an offense that was designed to work around Ryan Fitzpatrick. And look, everything we've seen has shown the dysfunction in Miami. We've all blamed the Miami Dolphins. They said, look, they keep bringing in Ryan Fitzpatrick to bail out two at the end of the games. That's on the, pa- that's on the Dolphins. Look at the incompetence. They get rid of a coach who we thought was a really good coach, right? We thought he was a really good head coach, and they just get rid of him. Look, the Miami Dolphins are idiots. They bring in this guy, my favorite head coach in the league, Mike McDaniels, who seems like such an idiot. He seems like a loser, right? Who is this guy? He could barely string a sentence together without sounding like a fool. And everyone's laughing at the Dolphins. Maybe they're right and we're wrong. Maybe we're looking at this the wrong way. 
maybe they were right that they had to get rid of Brian Flores because he was the one who was holding Tua back. Think back to when Tua was coming out of college before we knew about Justin Herbert and everyone in that draft and Joe Burrow. It was tank for Tua. That's what everyone was saying. They wanted to tank so that they get Tua Tungavailoa because he was the guy coming out of college. And then he gets hurt and everything changes and he falls to five. But that was considered crazy that he fell to five and was going to the Dolphins. So from playing at Alabama to now in a span of two years, just because we've seen a little bit of him in the NFL and he's been a little bit of a meme and Mike McDaniels and Brian Flores and Ryan Fitzpatrick and all the things that have happened to this point into his career that have gone against him. We're just going to give up on Tua and say, yeah, he's not good. He's not the guy. This is a guy who teams were dying to get. This was the number one guy, the can't-miss quarterback that we talked about only three years ago coming into the NFL, coming out of Alabama. And now all of a sudden things have shifted entirely? I'm not so sure. And just because it's the popular opinion to run and say, ha-ha, Tua, look at this. We don't trust Tua. Tua's a joke. Maybe that's right. Maybe the popular opinion is true. But we're so quick to forget what our opinion was when we were saying tank for Tua and everyone wanted the guy just three years ago. Lastly, I keep hearing this and I'm in Baltimore, so I'm going to talk about it. And that's Lamar Jackson and his contract situation. So it's just getting weirder and weirder. He's posting on Twitter now where somebody said that Lamar was offered $250 million guaranteed and he turned it down. And now he's quote tweeting it and saying, that's not true. He's present representing himself. It's a really weird situation. And there's a weird dynamic clearly here between the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. And I don't know how good that is for a team. Now, the team itself looks like it's going to be good. Bateman's supposed to be pretty good. They're getting J.K. Dobbins. They're starting running back back. Isaiah likely playing tight end alongside Mark Andrews is actually perfect for what Lamar Jackson needs. They draft the center that's going to help them, which their big problem last year, or one of the big problems was their offensive line. They couldn't keep Lamar Jackson healthy, and he ended up getting hurt. He was great last year before he got hurt. Their defense is really good. They had Kyle Hamilton at safety. Look, the middle of the field is where they're going to be playing, right? Tua throwing seam passes down the middle to the tight end. So having two tight ends now with Andrews and likely who could be out there, that's going to be huge for the Ravens. But having this hang over their heads, I hope this gets done in the next week because having this hang over their heads, I don't think that's a good situation to have this season. I don't think it's the situation where it's in a contract year, he's going to prove it year, he's going to ball out, he's going to go nuts. I actually don't think that's going to be the situation with the Ravens. I think they need to get this deal done to actually for everyone's goal to be on the same page for them to go out and win a Super Bowl. Whether that means that Lamar is the guy or not. And look, if you're the Ravens, you're pissed off at Cleveland. You're pissed off at Arizona. You're like, oh my God, guys, really? You give all this guaranteed money to guys who have done nothing? What has Kyler Murray done in comparison to Lamar Jackson? What has Deshaun Watson done in comparison to Lamar Jackson, especially considering the situation he was in where you knew he was going to be suspended? You knew you were going to have to deal with trouble. What did he do to warrant him getting all that guaranteed money? What did Kyler do to warrant him getting all that guaranteed money? Is it not fair for Lamar to come to the Ravens and say, I've done more, I've won an MVP, I've done more to warrant me getting all that money? Yeah, that's a fair point by Lamar Jackson. So whether he is actually the guy that is capable of winning a Super Bowl with this team or not, he has the case to make that he's definitely more valuable than those two other guys. Whether you think Deshaun Watson is a better quarterback or not, whether you think Kyler Murray is a better quarterback or not, which I don't think many are making the case of the latter. Maybe people are making the case of Deshaun Watson. It doesn't matter. Lamar has done more for you lately. Lamar has shown you that he's not getting in trouble off the field. He's not suspended for 11 games coming up. And so Lamar Jackson has every right to say, I want a contract going into this season, and I want a big contract, and I want a ton of guaranteed money. But this dragging out in the public and Lamar going on social media and bashing the team and this back and forth, that doesn't help anyone. And yeah, sometimes we like to say, look at Aaron Judge, right? We talked about it all year with the Yankees. He turned down the money, and he's like, ha-ha, I'm going out there, and I'm proving it. I don't know if that's necessarily the situation you want the team and Lamar Jackson to be in going into this NFL season. So that's what I got from a Raven standpoint. That's all for this episode. Like I said, the big news is the RJ Barrett news, and that's why I came on and recorded. But I had a bunch of other stuff 
to talk about. So coming up later this week, I think we're going to do Thursday, we're going to have the Fantasy Football Preview Podcast and a whole lot more other stuff to look out for all that fun stuff. As always, like, subscribe, do all that fun stuff. It really helps me. If you're listening right now, you could send me a text, send me a screenshot, just say, hey, I'm listening. I always appreciate that. And until next time, I'll see you all later. You were the best nights of my life. You got the light that always shines. I miss the way that you move and the way I get high. When you take me to your eyes, like I'm standing in the sky. Your subway cars and your old graffiti I breathe your air when I land in another city I'll be that one that's got you printed on my bones Yeah, you're all I know Everywhere I go, oh, oh, why you say is it oh, oh, oh Always on my Flying on the high line With the sidewalks burning We pray for rain in July I want the Yankees 99 yeah. And the Knicks on a sold out night When the curtains close And the Broadway streets are alive hey. I need your heartbeat close Don't you ever leave me And I breathe your air When I land in another city And I'll be My time spin, just a kid with that empire state of mindset. Kick flipping off a blind deck, dipping from the New York City's finest. Yeah, said I've been up on my New York shit, walking down the block with my New York bitch. I can never leave my city, ain't nothing like it. Even if I do, though, I can never hide it. Top down on the west side when I'm driving, east side be the only side that I'm riding. I'm still here.